One of the things that happens when you get old, things become smaller. That clock's a lot smaller. You've changed the clock. All right. Thank you for coming out. And uh, we are continuing the study of the book of Acts and we're doing chapter 10. Now, chapter 10 is a pivotal uh, part, not only in the book of Acts, but in the history of Christianity. It's where we read and have read, thank you, Megan, great job reading, where we read that the it's recorded there that the self, the gift of salvation of God is given over to the Gentiles, presented to the Gentiles. Also in this chapter we see that uh, Peter uses the keys of the kingdom, so I'll explain that in a minute, for the third and last time. That's very, very important that we understand that. I'm wondering if you realise... Whereabouts in the history of Christendom this chapter comes? Pentecost, chapter 10. Ten years. This is the 10th anniversary of Christianity. It's marked by this occasion. Ten years, that's a long time, isn't it? From when the Lord died, rose again, and salvation was presented to the, to the Gentiles a long time. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, we, we know that because we talked about that early on, takes great pains in recording this event. In fact, Megan didn't read the 66 verses because that's how many there are, chapter and a half. It's a significant event and, and he takes great pains at recording it. You know, a chapter and a half, that's more than what was given over to the conversion of Paul. Now, Paul was a central biblical character, wasn't he? In fact, he was the one that God had chosen to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And yet this event... It's recorded in, in even greater and longer detail. And I like this chapter because it shows us that God is in control of his plan. We see God's timing. You, know, you often talk about God's timing. You think, oh, yeah, in God's time. But here we see evidence of it, but also the minute detail of it. You know, it's not just, oh, in this year or in this decade... We have God timing things here to the minute. That's comforting to know, isn't it? He's in control. And then the part about this chapter that uh, I think is really good, this chapter has a, a wow factor, you know, a wow factor. What's a wow factor? Well, over the last few years, God has been very good to us, my wife and I. He's given us some grandchildren and the uh, I've got a few now, but the the one that's the most interesting to watch is the first one because she's developing, you see, and going through all these different stages. And she's two and a bit years old now, and she talks. <laughs> Boy, can she talk! <laughs> anyway, the thing that has really struck me over the last few weeks is everything that you she sees a butterfly. Wow. You blow bubbles. Wow! The parakeet that land. Wow! Everything's wow to a little two-year-old. The wow factor. I love it. I love the. I can just hear her saying it. It just thrills you. 
as you get older, and it's great to see these people, young people developing, getting older, but, you know, you start to lose the wow factor in life. You really do. And you get to be an adult, and there's not much that wows you anymore. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? But here, in this chapter, there is a wow factor, which I'm going to share with you. I don't know if you remember this. Hopefully you do, because it was me that was speaking that day. On the 26th of February, we looked at Acts chapter 2. And we read about the Holy Spirit descending on, on the believers there, the people in the upper room. And, you know, they began to speak in tongues. That was a pretty big event, as we, we discussed. And it tells us in Acts chapter 2 verse 12 that the the rest of the Jewish community that were gathered there that day were what? Amazed. That's what it says. They were amazed. What does amazed mean? It means to bewilder, to perplex, to astound. And the entomologists, the people that study words and stuff, tell us that this word comes from the idea of being lost in amaze. That's why it says amaze. I thought that was, that was pretty cool, that. So, so they were amazed. They, they were bewildered. Like, what does this mean? That was Acts chapter 2. In Acts, Acts chapter 10, verse 40, 45, when a similar thing happens and the Holy Spirit comes and people who receive the Spirit speak in tongues, the Jews that were around then at that occasion... Another A word, wasn't that they weren't amazed. They were astonished. Astonished. That's what it says in the scripture. Why the two different words? Astonished means to strike with sudden fear or and wonder. It means dazed or silenced. And the entomologists tell us that it comes from the idea of turn to stone. In other words, the thing that you've seen or heard or witnessed, you know, you're, you're astonished. No words. Interesting, isn't it? That is the wow fact. And I'll explain that a bit more in a minute. And one of the entomologists, I have to write this down. You notice there's no PowerPoint. My wife's here. Can't have PowerPoint before again. Okay, it says, this is what he said, and I thought this was pretty good. We are amazed at what seemed extremely difficult, implausible or improbable. We are surprised by the merely unexpected or unanticipated. We are astonished when our surprise is so great as to silence us or daze us. That's what astonished means, the wow factor. And that's what happened. In this chapter, there was a wow factor. A little bit of background. We didn't read the whole chapter, uh, chapter and a half. There's a lot of verses, but I have to give you some background. Otherwise, we won't understand or appreciate what has gone on here. The keys of the kingdom, very important. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19 mentions that. And it's the Lord Jesus who says to Peter the apostle, you've got the keys to the kingdom. And he's told him that whatever whatever he loosens and binds will be on earth will be the same in heaven. A lot of people don't understand what that means. Very simple. 
A person who has the keys to anything has the power to exclude or permit entry. Yes? Yeah? You try to get into the house next door, you haven't got a key, you can't get in. If I've got a key and I don't give it to you, I'm excluding you from getting in. Or, if I give it to you, I'm permitting you enter into the house next door. It's quite simple. But the keys of the kingdom, what does that mean? The kingdom isn't a territory, you know, and, and even the apostles were struggling with this right up until the Lord ascended. If you look back in Acts chapter 1, they, they were still, when are, you, when, when are you going to bring the kingdom in, Lord? They didn't understand. It's not a territory. It's not even a realm, really. The, key, the, the kingdom of God is a people. It's a people. And it's made up of Jews, yes, Samaritans, and Gentiles. That's what the kingdom of God is made up of. And that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul said. It's, it, the kingdom is made up of all whom the Lord our God will call. That's what Peter said. It took him a while to get to that revelation and realisation, but that's what, that's what the kingdom is. And Peter's got the keys to this kingdom. And we've seen over the last month or so the gospel being presented to the Jews, always to the Jews first. That's the pattern we see in the Bible. And that's what the Lord said, didn't he? He said, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and then I want you to present the gospel to the Jews. He didn't leave it there, did he? The Lord said, and then I want you to go to Judea, and then to the, to, to the Samaritans? And I just, can just imagine these people standing thinking, the Samaritans. And then he says, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And that, and that means the Gentiles to everybody else. And that's where we're at now. Now we're with the Gentiles. Now what's a Gentile? A Gentile is anybody, anybody at all, without any Jewish heritage. So the Samaritans were sort of a mixed race. They, they had Jewish blood. Yeah, you know, those sort of very distant sort of ancestors and relatives and relations. But the Gentiles. You know, if, you, if, you, if you've read the Bible, you, you, you'll come across this, this animosity that the, the Jews have towards the, the Samaritans. You know... When the Lord was talking to the to the lady uh, at the well, she said to him, "The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans." In fact, we, we know that story well. How people would go round rather than go through Samaria just to avoid the people there. And yet they, they were blood, they were kin, they were relatives. They would have no dealings with the with the Samaritans. And here we have this problem in Acts chapter 10. Not the Samaritans, but the Gentiles. The Gentiles. The Jews didn't just have a dislike for the Gentiles. They hated them. They hated the Gentiles. They were unclean in their eyes. They were aliens and strangers. How do you feel when you come across a, 
a person who's so alien towards you, from a completely different culture. They were strangers. They weren't friendly at all. In fact, the terminology that the Jews would use towards Gentiles was they were dogs. Now, that's not a fluffy little shih tzu, you know. When you look up the word dog in the dictionary, the fourth meaning, when it's referred to a human being, particularly a man, it means a despicable man or youth. It's, 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 not a, it's not a nice term to be called a dog. And yet, it's on record. That's how they refer to as the Gentiles that lived around about the Jewish nation. And even some of the Jewish Christians in the New Testament that we read of, and we're reading of some right at this moment, had difficulties in allowing the Gentiles into this new thing that, that God was bringing about. Even the Jewish Christians. And so there had to be preparations for this great event. And that's where we pick it up. And that's why we read that little passage uh, about Peter having this vision from God. You see, Peter was an Orthodox Jew. He wasn't a fanatic. He wasn't part of the Sadducees or the Pharisees. He was just an ordinary citizen, a Jewish citizen. Now, the Jewish citizen, his religious life was his life. It wasn't like here in Australia where religion plays this part of our life. You know, it's not. It, 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 it um, encompassed everything: their calendar, the way they ate, the way they worked, the way they interacted with one another, the way they forgave each other's debts. All it all was based on the law of Moses. It was how they lived, and Peter was an Orthodox Jew. Lived out his faith. Kept the feasts, and we see, and we see from this little event here that he also kept the dietary requirements, didn't he? He wasn't going to eat anything unclean. And there was this great wall of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, and Peter's grown up with that. In fact, we talk, it's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 as a dividing wall of hostility. So have we got the picture? It wasn't just, oh, you know, those people over there, we don't get on. They were hostile to one another. If you want to see a, a, an example of that today, Israel and Palestine, that's what it would have been like. Any love lost there? No, none whatsoever. How do they treat each other? Well, you shoot a missile, I'll shoot a missile. You know, you blow up a bus, I'll blow up a bus. That's what it was like. And so we have this sheet lowered down by the Lord. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, that Peter was given this, this preparation that he had to understand that God was changing things. And he had to accept that. Surely not, Lord. Surely not. I love that. You know, if he's your Lord, you just do what he says. But no, not Peter. He says, oh no, they're unclean. But it was the Lord, it was God who said, get up and eat. Get up, kill and eat. Surely not. I, 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 love, I love what the scripture does when you, when you study it carefully. You know, on the road to Damascus, 
the, uh, the, the Saul said, Who are you, Lord? Cornelius, a Gentile, he was a God-fearing man. When the Lord spoke to him, he said, What is it, Lord? And the Apostle Peter said, Surely not, Lord. Now, the old good old brethren uh, preachers would, would, would take those three and give you a great sermon. But I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> but I just thought that was interesting, isn't it? There, were, there, was, there was a religious Jew who didn't recognise the voice of the Lord. Who are you? And he is a, the Apostle Peter. Keys of the kingdom. Surely not, Lord, I'm not doing that, even though you've asked me. But there was a Gentile, someone who was looking for God, searching for God. And he knew, when he heard that, saw that vision and heard that voice, he said, what is it, Lord? What is it you want me to do? That's a great attitude, isn't it? So after the vision was given, the men came. We read all that. Most of you know the story quite well. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. We didn't read about that. I'm just going to explain it to you as we go through. It's interesting that uh, Peter took with him some, some Jewish friends, some Jewish believers, six of them. That's uh, three times the amount of people you need as a witness for something. I reckon Peter thought to himself, you know, I don't know what's going on here. I know the Lord's asked me to do this. I better take someone to back me up here with uh, what's going to happen because he was going to have to go and not just talk to a, a Gentile but go into his house. Peter had a bit of an idea that uh, this was going to cause him some grief so he took six witnesses with him. And as we read about Cornelius, I think it's, it's tremendous, this man's attitude. His willingness to hear and obey the message of God. That's what he says to Peter. We didn't read it. He says, now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And not only that, he had a, he had a, Cornelius had a desire to, to share this with all those that are close to him. His family, his household, they also were going to hear this message. And Cornelius made sure that he used whatever influence that he could, that they were all sitting down and listening to what Peter had to bring. You know, we've got an opportunity here at this church in the next few weeks to allow people to come and hear about Jesus Christ in the, uh, with the Alpha Course. What influence have we got with our family members, work colleagues, mates and friends? Would we like them to hear about Jesus Christ, about salvation, about eternal life? Cornelius, it was in his heart. It was in his heart to hear these, for the people to, uh, to hear. And what, a, what an attitude. Chapter 10, verse 33, I read it to you. It says, now we are all here in the presence of God to listen, to listen. Listening means, and Judy mentioned it before, listening means to hear with understanding, with a desire to, to take on that information that's been given. To hear and to listen to uh, 
to, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. It, it's, I hope that Montmorency Community Church has this attitude, that when someone is here on the platform, a preacher of God's word, and I'm not saying this because it's me today, every week, that we come here with an attitude to listen, to listen to what God has prepared the speaker for them to tell us. I hope we have that attitude. That's what Cornelius had. And look at the blessing that he received. This is how God often chooses to communicate with his people. Do you realise that? Don't look at the speaker. In fact, don't look at me because I'm not very good looking. Listen. Listen to the words. They're God's words. They really are. And so what was it? The first thing that Cornelius heard, he knew that Peter was the, an apostle. He knew that, 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 that God had referred this man to Cornelius, go and send men to his house, and get him to come over here. That's a very special speaker that uh, Cornelius had at the house. And I'm sure Cornelius was really anxious to hear what the message was. What is it that the Lord, that's what he said, tell us what the Lord commanded you to tell us. Edge of seat stuff, yeah? Absolutely. And the first thing that Cornelius hears is this. Then Peter began to speak, verse 34 of chapter 10. And this is what Peter says. Now I realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism. He accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. The first thing that Peter hears, uh, sorry, that Cornelius hears from Peter, is that God is not a racist. No racism with God, as far as God is concerned. God has, has no racial prejudice at all. Isn't that great, Tracy? Those people in Port Augusta, God loves them. He, he doesn't judge them because of their race. And, and, and Peter says to them that God accepts everyone. That, that uh, acknowledges him and does what is right. As, as a, as a, it was a flip side, you know. He also judges everyone that doesn't do that. And that's in verse 43, which we'll talk about in a minute. But this idea that there is no racism with God, no favoritism, is echoed by the Apostle Paul in, in Romans 2.11, Ephesians 6 and 9 and Colossians 3.25. No favoritism with God. He doesn't care whether you're Australian, Jewish, Italian, a Collingwood supporter, even Collingwood supporters, you know. He doesn't care about those things. He does care about other things that are very important, but not those things. The superficial things, the things that bother us, you know, that are important to us. God, no. No favouritism there. And in James, the Lord's half-brother also echoes the same thing in two, two, chapter 2, verse 1. And First Peter 1.17, the Apostle Peter again says, that God judges each man's work impartially. Racism is a challenge. It really is, isn't it? Racial prejudice is a challenge for all of us, even today, with our enlightenment, with our education, 
without political correctness, it's still a struggle, isn't it? Even in the church, the church, it's a struggle, but not with God. It's not a struggle for God. The wow factor. Verse 43, I'll just read verse 43. All the prophets testify about him, this is Jesus Christ, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. Were astonished. Because they became, they, they started speaking tongues. The Holy Spirit had descended and, and, and they were astonished. The Holy Spirit, while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and the household. Now, that still happens today. Not the Holy Spirit coming. Conviction. People in their seats believing what they hear. Accepting what they hear in the seats. How do I know this? It happens to me. It happens to me. Sometimes I sit there in my seat and the speaker says something and, 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 and he's going on about all sorts of things and I'm convicted in my seat. The Spirit says to me, Raph, did you hear that? Were you listening to what he said? You need to fix that in your life. Or something similar to that. So this is not strange that on hearing what Peter had said, Cornelius accepted that. He accepted verse 43. All who believe, everyone, sorry, it says that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. And on that belief, the Holy Spirit enters every believer. And that happens today. You're not going to speak in tongues. And I'll explain in a minute why. But that still happens today. So if there's somebody here this morning and you haven't asked the Lord Jesus to be your Savior, if you haven't asked him to forgive you your sins, if you, if you were to do that right now in your seat, wherever you may be in this hall, and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, that instant the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside you. Guaranteed. It can happen right now. You're not going to speak in tongues, just let me remind you about that. And that's what happened there. They, 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 they believed, and the, and the Jewish believers that came with the Apostle Peter, they saw the manifestation of this. They saw the Holy Spirit come and enter into those believers. Did they see the cloven? There was no cloven tongues of fire. Did they hear a rush? No, no rushing wind. How did they see it? Cornelius, his household, his family started to speak in tongues. The witnesses were, what? Astonished. Astounded. They were so surprised, they were dumbstruck. They could not believe it. In fact, I would say they would not believe it. It's interesting how the scripture records this. 
It doesn't say there that the uh, the Jewish believers that came with Peter. No, it says there the circumcised believers that came with Peter. And it's, there's a reason because it shows you that they were real Jews because they were circumcised. It shows you that there, there's a message here for them and for everyone that reads it. You see, dogs, as far as they, they saw this happening, and the first thing that probably popped into their heads was dogs are being allowed into the kingdom of heaven. That's what they would have thought. Gentiles, they can't possibly be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. How could they? And you know, it's a parallel event, isn't it? What happened in Cornelius' house and what happened in Jerusalem at, at the day of Pentecost, it's a parallel event. The Spirit of God came upon those who believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour and, they, and there was a manifestation to prove that they had done that and they began to speak in tongues. What's a manifestation? It's just a sign or a symbol of something, isn't it? Peter made sure that this, uh, this event didn't go unnoticed. The Jews needed a sign. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter I think it's 12, no, 15, I think. Anyway, it's in Corinthians 15. And they needed a sign to, to indicate that God is doing things amongst them because they, they didn't believe things very easily. And in, in Corinthians it tells us that the Jews require a sign. And the sign gift of speaking in tongues was particularly given to the Jews. Because verse 48 tells us that this was a transitional period in the church history, the church age. This was the third and last time the keys of the kingdom would be used. The transitional period had come to an end. The plan that the Lord had set in chapter 1 of Acts was coming to an end, or actually had come to an end at Cornelius' house. The Jews, the Samaritans and the Gentiles were one body, Now let me remind you something. They had no idea what that meant. In fact, that term had not even entered their mind or their vocabulary at that that moment because it was still a hidden mystery. You see, the Apostle Paul was going to teach them about the one body. But it was happening already. The church was being formed. And, you know, we look back and we think, oh, yeah, that's interesting. But, you know, these people had not even heard of the word Christian before. Do you realise that? That's in, that's in chapter 11, verse 25, where it says that in Antioch, the people, these, these weird people that were in the way, these believers in Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. Can you see why these miraculous things had to occur? Why God had to give visions and manifestations to prove to them that he was changing the way things were going to be between him and, and people. And so we have a pattern established. 
the word preached, the gospel preached, people believed, sins are forgiven, Holy Spirit is received, then people are baptised and then they're taught the word of God. That's what happens today. Now, that didn't finish the story. See, chapter 11 is where we discover that Paul's in, uh, Peter's in big trouble. <laughs> what did you do down at Cornelius' house? You went in and you, 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 you preached them the gospel. You ate with them. You know, there are always people who aren't happy with, with change, with the change in the status quo. I'm one of those, one of those people, I hate change. You have to learn more things. But some change has to happen. And he was one of them. Change is hard to accept. A hundred, a hundred, for hundreds of years, the Jews hated the Gentiles with a passion. Would have nothing to do with them. And here they were, they were going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. I went to watch a movie um, just a few weeks ago called The Hidden Figures. If you've seen it, it's a great movie, isn't it? But it talks about these three women, NASA, NASA scientists or workers, who were Negroes, black Americans. And how after a hundred years since the Civil War, a hundred years had gone past. That's quite a few generations, isn't it? They still like to use a separate toilet, a separate drinking fountain, different coffee pot, and a whole lot of other things. And, and even though the story is really interesting, it was fascinating to see how even after a hundred years, an inbred culture of hatred still is hard to shake. And this is what happened here. Culturally ingrained. And so the, the, the believers, the Jewish people in, the Jewish believers in, in Jerusalem said to Peter, please explain. And it's okay to criticize. It's okay to ask for an explanation. Because it was good. Peter was had the opportunity to explain. And what do we read? We read in chapter 11 there that, that they listened. And they evaluated what was being said. And that's where we read, don't we, that Peter says, and you know, these six brothers, they went with me and they saw and heard what happened as well. And I love, I love how it ends in verse 18. Verse 18, when the other circumcised believers heard all the evidence, it says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. That's a wonderful story because that's where you and I come in. We are the beneficiaries of the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit, being given the opportunity to accept salvation that God freely offers. Just three little, four points of interest before we close. I have to say this because there's a lot of different teaching about the baptism of the Spirit and things like that. There's a whole denomination, our friends at the Pentecostal churches, who 
have a few different views about this. I want you, I want to point out that it, Peter had to go back 10 years to tell the, the believers of Jerusalem of a similar event. 10 years. He told them, you know, back, remember back at Pentecost, it was the same occurrence that happened to us. You see, it wasn't an everyday occurrence. What happened at Cornelius' house didn't happen every day. It happened for a reason, a specific reason, a special reason. And it's also interesting that at the three occurrences where there was speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit was given in a, in a, in a physical way, the three Acts chapter two, eight, and this chapter here, verse chapter ten, there was a, there were apostles present there. All three occasions. But this occasion, it's interesting that the only apostle there was Peter. In fact, Peter was the only apostle at all three occasions because he had the keys. Yeah? Isn't that interesting? You know, you don't find that interesting? I do. And, as I said, these sign gifts, when you look at the, the three occurrences, were given so that the, the Jews would believe that this is a God thing, that God is instigating this, not man. And also the use of the word same, and just as we have, that Peter used to, to, to convince the six men that went with him to Cornelius' house, and then at the Jerusalem uh, church, he said it was just the same. It was the same event, the same occurrence, nothing that was going to be repeated time and time again. And in fact, you will not find that ever happening again throughout the book of Acts. I think that's significant. This is a pivotal event. It's when the Jews were embraced by God into his family. We did become one people, God's people. For all those who believe on Jesus Christ as their saviour are embraced by God, no matter what country you come from, what your social standing is, what sex you are, what language you speak, what colour your skin is. I love this church. I love that we are a, a, an example of the grace of God. You have an Italian former Roman Catholic preaching the gospel to you from God's word. We have people from India in our congregation. We have Greek people in our congregation. We have Aussies. We have Irish people. And, well, there was Scottish people here a minute ago. You know, don't you just love that? God is not racist. He doesn't show any favour to him. He loves mankind and he seeks to save all that come unto him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, this morning for your wondrous love and grace to us. But more importantly, Father, I thank you for the salvation that we've read about that was given to all who believe. And for us, Father, we came into the group that is known as the Gentiles. We were the ones that were far off, that were divided by this wall of hostility. And now, Father, we are a part of the family of God. And we thank you for this. We praise you for this. Our prayer would be, Father, that we embrace who we are, that we belong to you, and seek to be like Cornelius, to share this wonderful message and this news with all that we, all the people that we love and care about and we have influence over, that they too may be able to hear how they can become part of the family of God 
and enjoy the same blessings and, and benefits that we enjoy. So, Father, I, I just thank you for your word, for the things that are recorded there for us and for the communication that it gives to us from yourself. And, Father, I just pray that you would part us with your blessing. And this we ask in the Saviour's precious name. Amen. And morning tea will be served by the youth group. Ooh, yeah.